G'day everyone, welcome to today's episode of the podcast. Today I am speaking to an amazing producer, a guy called Nick Franklin. Nick is from Sydney. He's a phenomenal producer, multi-instrumentalist. He's an artist. He designs his own electronics and uh, he's just a fantastic dude. We had a really great chat. So sit back and relax and enjoy my chat with the awesome Nick Franklin. You and I have been thrust into a similar situation recently, which is we both had a studio space for a number of years. Uh, and then our respective landlords wanted to do something else with that space. And we both found ourselves, you know, out of our studio. And in my case, working from home uh, up in Foster. Yeah. Uh, how's that been going for you? What did, do you want to talk me through that process? Yeah, so um, it, it's been it's been an interesting. It's 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 probably been one of the biggest adjustments um, I've experienced in my adult life. Honestly, um, yeah. So like you, we were renting a commercial um, studio space. Uh, we actually we we actually built it. So that was a mm. um, that was a whole thing. Um, what we were actually renting was about thirty square meters of empty warehouse space, um, mm. and uh, you know it was. It was a great spot. I was renting from Rick O'Neill, who who you know, of course, and I was in the same building as with with Steve Francis, who you also know, and it's an amazing spot. Mm. And I think it was the first time, you know, I'd rented studios before that. I had one in Castle Ray Street where Don Bartley's old room was, and I've had mm. commercial studios, but it was the first one that really felt um, like it was my it was like my second home. You know, it was my my yeah. spot. We built it with our hands. You know, it was imperfect in so many ways, but it was like a it was it was ours and um and it it didn't last as long as we'd kind of expected which was so it was quite shocking when you know we found out mm. um and i'm sure it's a feeling you can <laughs> relate to that you know mm. there's a there's a deadline on when you've got to get out of there and um it was it was scary because I, not only did i not know where i was going to work which was a you know it was a concern in and of itself but i feel i sort of felt like at the time which i've learned is not really the case that my identity and my presence in the kind of industry was somehow tied up with the with the walls of that spot like i i thought yeah. you know like are people even going to want to work with me anymore you know will i still feel like i'm in the music industry when we tear these walls down mm. um and you know it all kind of happened as it did for you like right in the middle of this weird covid situation we've been kind of <laughs> going through so it was this just just covid <laughs> so it was just a um you know it was a it was a strange period the initial the initial actual moving out was so all consuming i don't think i had a chance to step back and realize what was um you know what was really kind of happening i mean we we tore the whole studio down in a sort of a month and then all of a sudden as the dust settled i was like oh shit i guess uh I work at home now, <laughs> mm, mm. Um, you know, and I, I, it was it was weird, but really quickly, like I'm like in the space of like ten days, I was like, oh man, this is great. This is actually mm. good. You know, I I I had this kind of, 
realization that there was new ways of making music that I had been kind of, you know, just sort of ignoring and not paying attention to because I, I've always been the person that if you record drums, the way to do it is you go to a studio, you hire the studio, I put the microphones yeah. on the drums, do the full bit. Um, and then with no space to do anything like that, you know, I started straight away, you know, I'll send stuff to Miles and he's got a great studio so he can, you know, and he gets the sounds that I like. And all of a sudden I was like, wow, that was like way cheaper and easier and way less yeah. stressful <laughs> than going yeah. to a yeah. studio. So I kind of embraced it quite quickly. The only logistical issue was my partner, Jess, and I were living together in a two-bedroom apartment and um, we were just trying to share our second bedroom as like my new studio space, also her workspace. Um, yeah. And it just wasn't, that wasn't working. So we moved house quite quickly after um, we closed the studio so that I could have a room and she could have a dedicated room for her work stuff. Um mm. And it's it's funny. I've gone from kind of being like, oh, I could, I've always going to have to have a commercial studio space to, you know, I could totally do it um, without one, you know. Um, yeah. So it's been a bit of a roller coaster. But I actually have come full circle, and I have a studio at home and a, a sort of rented space that I share with someone now. But um, yeah, it's been. Oh, a, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So where's that? Been in Piermont on um, on uh, Harris Street. Yeah. So I share oh, with okay. um, with 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 Guy, who's long-term friend, and um, we used to play in a band together. I guess technically we still play in a band together. We've never officially broken up. <laughs> um, <laughs> nice. But, uh, yeah, so I, I still have a couple of days a week at a at a commercial spot now because I don't really think I'm going to go down the road of having people to the house um, just because just I don't think... Um, it just doesn't really suit us and I, I don't want to, mm. you know... Um, I'm sure it would be fine with people that that I know and like, but I do like the idea of if if it's just strangers that I can go somewhere else that's not here and Jess doesn't have to <laughs> make small talk. Yeah, weirdos coming through our house. Musos. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And so exactly. because you're a you're a drummer and a you're a multi-instrumentalist, right? So it the hard thing is probably not having the drum kit set up and at your disposal 24 hours a day, right? Yeah, that I mean that's um you know that's something that uh I kind of come and go on and I think that's something that I don't know is in my personality I, you know I'll go through these these little periods of obsession all the time and and sometimes you know for a while it was drums like I was just like mm. buying snares and like playing the drums all the time and then you know I was bought all these mics like you know I was just going crazy about the drums for a little while and like just as soon as that comes on I'll just kind of lose my interest in the drums for a little while and go to something else so i don't sort of feel the you know the the kind of burning you know f desire to get on a drum kit all the time now um you know it, you know maybe i would play it if it was set up uh but mm. a lot of what i do is just tinkering around on guitars or um you know whatever else and um i, I mean with the exception of playing a drum set i, I can do everything here you know like it's, it's yeah cool. absolutely so, speaking of guitars, are you, uh, and particularly since you've moved, are you an amp guy or an amp sim guy right now? Oh, I think I'm split down the middle a little bit. If you'd asked me that question a year ago, I would have 100% said amp sims are shit and that y you have to record um, real guitar. I think I've been scarred, right? So, like, <laughs> some of the first yeah, software yeah, yeah. I ever got was, like, my guitar teacher gave me on a on a burned compact disc um he gave me a, a pirated copy of cubase 
and like a pirated copy of like guitar rig. Then this is like, um, I want to say maybe around 2001, 2002. Now in my brain, that's what amp sims <laughs> sound yeah, like. Yeah, yeah. You've got that <laughs> hangover so, from yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> it absolutely. And I, and I just, um, a lot of the, well, the, the kind of music that, I, especially that I used to work on, the, the band, the, the guitar players in those bands just wouldn't be caught dead playing through amp sims. Like it just wasn't their vibe. Like the, a lot of them would have an amp that they really liked or they they were enamored with the idea of old, you know, Fender amps or whatever. And so it, was, yeah. it wasn't really always an option to for me to go like, why don't we try an amp sim? And I felt pretty strongly for a long while that, you know, the only way I would really co- record guitars properly was to, to use a real amp. Um, but then being forced... Um, to some degree to to sort of m- not make as much noise, I suppose, is the main thing. Um, yeah. You know, last year I started exploring it a little bit more and I kind of came to that conclusion that I have with all of the instruments is it doesn't actually matter at all. Um, yeah. I mean, of course yeah. it matters. I mean, gear's cool, whatever, you know, I'm just not yeah. that fast. You know, I'm, I'm not the most amazing guitar player, but like I think because I've recorded so much, my touch is appropriate for gu- recording like i get you know how to hold a chord so it's not out of tune and i and i can pick consistently and i can play in time um Mm. honestly that just di'd with no amp sim sounds better to me than someone hacking away through the world's best amp um exactly but yeah i don't know i'm i still really like uh, you know i've got a a, like a 70s vibralux and like i just i love playing through it it feels nice to play through um but for recording purposes now i'll just you know, I'll load up an amp sim um, and use like, yeah, like uh, neural DSP or um, uh, the other one I've got. Uh, I don't remember the name of it anyway. But yeah, I'm, I'm sort of, I'm so, I hate to sound apathetic towards gear, but I think the, the older no. I get and the, and the more into it, I, I realize it actually doesn't, it's not really, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you, so, look yeah. At the, you look at the people that are kind of making the big pop records. Which are probably the best sounding records on the planet. A hundred percent. And they're not sitting there going, you know, we have to have a real kit. We have to have a real guitar. They don't no. give a fuck. They, it's no, just got to sound great. Yeah, exactly. And it doesn't really matter what the, you know, how you get there. As long as the sound coming out of the speakers is cool. I actually just um, mastered something for um, that, that Pete Holtz had produced and... You know, I've always kind of same with you know, amp sims kind of go in the same basket as um, program drums for me. Like I used to be quite opposed to yeah. it because the sounds that I would hear were very like, like American country or like super exactly. slamming metal kind of sounds, and I didn't yeah, really, I didn't really yeah. vibe with that. And I heard this track that that Pete Holtz had produced and mixed, and I phoned him and I said, "Did you do these drums in your little booth there?" And he's like, that's that's just programmed drums. That's just, you know, whatever. Mm. And I was like, okay, cool. All right, well, we're at the point where I was like 100% convinced what I was hearing was a drummer playing a drum set, uh, you know. Absolutely, so yeah, yeah. I think we've we've just hit the point where it doesn't really matter how you, you know, you can get whatever sound, um, you know. And I think uh, it's, it's, it's great because it enables people that, you know, couldn't maybe don't have the budget to go to a huge studio and do a day of drums or, you know, um, mm. you know, want to make music at their house, you know what I mean? And can't set up a drum set. Like, you know, there's all these tools now where you can, you know, pretty much make studio records <laughs> in your headphones, you know? Absolutely. As a matter of fact, for me, uh, coming up 
here and working I, like I'm in a unit so I've got, I've got to keep an eye on volume yeah. yeah yeah and I've done so much more mixing on headphones and it has revolutionized my mixing I reckon yeah right um for me now I, I pay a lot more attention to finer details of panning than I did when I just was mixing on monitors yeah how do you find is, mixing on headphones or is that something you've always done a lot of? Uh, I kind of come and go. I I think I still need to check on the speakers just because uh, a handful of times I'll like, I've done a whole mix and then then when I get it somewhere where I know and I'm, I'm on my speakers, I, I'm really confused about some of the decisions that I've, that I've made. Um, mm. I don't know, but sometimes for me as well, I'm, I'm I, I get kind of like, I don't know, like mixing for me is very, it's like an emotional experience in a way. Like sometimes it's like my absolute happy place. Like if yeah. I'm in the right mood, like I'm sometimes like just so excited to get started on a mix. And sometimes those days I'll just mix for like three hours and I'm like, boom, that is, that is done. Like I'm, yeah. I feel 100% confident with that. Um, and then other days, I take like four running starts at it and I'm like, why won't this thing come together? And I'm having a freak mm. out. Like I, I, I ride these really <laughs> deep waves of like, <laughs> am I even totally. a mixer or, uh, you know, yeah, like. Exactly. Um, and so uh, just a few times a, a while ago, like a few years ago, I, I tried doing a lot of mixing on headphones and they, they kind of went, they didn't go that well. So I still kind of have associations with being a bit scared to send out stuff that I mostly worked on headphones um so right. yeah so headphones for me is like probably a a, a 20 percent of the mix time um thing uh mm. and then um probably speakers the rest of the time i also i don't like being tethered to the cord uh it's, it's like a weird thing but i like rolling my mm. chair around over to the keyboard or grabbing my guitar and you know i'm forever just like getting tangled up in shit <laughs> just, um, I whoever whoever thought that this was a good idea good for idea. headphones. <laughs> no, I mean, so I know a lot of, you know, you see a lot of indie bands live and they've got the coiled Coily. guitar leads because they look cool, presumably, but they are a pain in the ass. I've got a really, really long headphone extension. So That's I can kind of go. wheel my, my way around the room, even, you know, being, being wired up to the headphones. I feel like I want- But like I hate a, the bloody so coil. Yeah, the coil's a nightmare. I've just got the straight one, the really long straight, so I can kind of like nice. get around as well. I think they should invent like a, um, you know, like uh, some people have for their garden hose, like they should have one that retracts into a thing when, <laughs> when you don't want all I'm the I'm sure it's been invented. I'm sure of it. It's just for whatever reason, the headphone manufacturers probably just went, ah, too hard. Too hard. <laughs> Let them deal or with their bloody coiled leads. They probably want us to break the headphone cables so that we got to buy the replacements. Yeah, exactly. You were talking before about um, about having that touch, you know, on the guitar. Mm. Um, a very dear friend of mine and a, a fantastic music uh, musician and engineer, David Richards, um, was touring and his band was supporting Jeff Beck. Yeah, right. And he's a massive, massive Jeff Beck fan and. He said he was backstage and he was playing one of Jeff Beck's songs, just noodling around. And Jeff heard it and said, would you like to play through my, my rig? And he said, oh, I'd, I'd love to. So Jeff <laughs> takes him out onto the stage and David plugs in 
Jeff's guitar into Jeff's pedal board into, you know, the whole bits and pieces. And he said, and I started playing and he said, and it sounded like me. Amazing. It didn't sound so like true. Jeff Beck. No, yeah, that's exactly it's right. It's all it, in the fingers, right? Oh man, 100%. And it goes for every instrument. I, you know, I'm on drum sessions. I, I tend to be kind of overly prepared. Like I, I'll, I'll ask a band to come in at 11, you know, for, for, for a drum day, but I, I'm there at 8.30 or 9.00, you know, I like the room to be perfect. I like, you know, yeah. I'm a bit of a nerd with this stuff. Like, you know, I'm going to change all the skins. I'm going to get it feeling great. And I've when I do those big drum days, I've got this assistant, Matt, and he's great. He's like a second me now. Like I've got him to the point where I can go into the room and play the drums and he'll do, dial all the pre's to kind of where I would like them and yada yada. We'll get nice. a drum sound that is like, I'm like, cool, today's going to be a blast. It sounds awesome. Um, I'm, I'm happy. And then depending on the drummer that walks in that day, it changes completely. Like it, de- you know, yeah, <laughs> you know yeah. it does all of a sudden totally. this drum sound that I thought was amazing, um, you know, it's just not working anymore. It really is that simple, you know, it's, it's, it's the person playing, Absolutely. Um, you know, all this, it's all nice to have the good pre's and the good compressors and yada yada. But at the end of the day, um, you know, it's, it's really comes down to the person operating the thing, right? Absolutely. Yeah, and and the the expertise, but also uh, I think one thing I'm noticing more and more is it's just the attention to detail that you put in. Oh yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, you know, um, we, I don't know. Oh, you've met Lou, right? He, you 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 did some piano for Lewis Mitchell the other the other day. Like, yeah, yeah. He, he, you know, I used to think he was nuts because you know he works in the primarily in the kind of pop world, you know, label kind of stuff, and you know he would talk to me about these things he would do when he's editing vocals. And I'm like, man, you're crazy. Like, like that's just so much time and, and, and so Mm. much effort. But I realized like, that's actually what it takes to get a vocal that sounds like those records. You have to, he's in there moving things by 10 milliseconds to make it feel a little bit better when they land on that one word Mm. and, you know, Mm. moving Mm. tiny tune and, and turning a breath down three DB and yada, 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 you know, until it is, until it is just perfect. Cause that is the benchmark for, pop vocals now it has to be perfect yeah you know? yeah um, absolutely and and uh you know it is it, that's that's right it is those it's those details it's like are you landing on the beat are you landing after the beat are you landing slightly ahead of the beat to make it feel kind of anxious like these little details it's really where it's at right mm. yeah absolutely how um how close do you feel you've gotten to nailing this whole gig oh um if the gig is solely music production, then like so far from, <laughs> so far from, um, you know, where I would want to be. But I, I think about this a lot, right? Like I reckon I could be a heaps better music producer now if this has, was all I had dedicated my time to doing. Like, and sometimes right. I have weird emotions about that. Like I look sometimes at my friends who work on music that people have heard of and, you know, music that, (laughs) (laughs) you know what I mean? And and I think, oh, you know, I wonder if I would feel more proud of myself or whole or more satisfied with my music career if um, I had you know, spent every waking moment of my 20s just trying to hustle into that world and and, had just not taken Mm. days off and just gone hard in that world, you know, but that's not really what I've done and 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 on other days I'm really 
you know, glad that it's not what I did because, you know, I live this crazy weird life now where one day I'm producing music, the next day I'm, you know, I'm developing a new circuit for a product that we're going to release, um, you know, mm. another day I'm, you know, I was saying before, like I go through these like mad obsessive phases where like, you know, I'll just be like, I need to learn how to do woodwork. That's that's what I want to do. And, you know, <laughs> it'll be like, you know, I'll just build a million wood projects. And um, that's just how much... because of... Is that endless curiosity or is it uh, restlessness? What do, you, what do you think fuels that? Um, I, th- I think it's a little bored? bit... Of, yeah, definitely. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's so funny. I'll I'll be like so stressed and burnt out and we'll have a holiday coming up and I'm like, yes, this is exactly what I need. And then like two days into the holiday, I'm just on my phone, like scrolling. I'm like, oh, that EQ circuit could work in our, you know, like, you know, like, um, you know yeah. it's, I, yeah, I mean, I, I think I do. I know one thing for sure, doing the same thing every day doesn't work for me. Like my brain just isn't wired that, that way. I used to teach full time at JMC. Um, well, yeah. not so much a, te- a teaching role, but like a like a managerial position. Um, and going to the same place f- for the same hours every day, um, it just it, it drives me insane. I just I'll just start looking for things to do elsewhere. I I can't really do that. And so, you know, where I've kind of got myself to now, I'm in this position where um, my week is like loosely structured about around going to the studio on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, but I don't always, if there's not something particular that I need to do and I, I wake up inspired to try and design a new distortion or, you know, to completely mm. pull all the cables out of my studio and redo them or whatever, like I, I'll do that because, um, you know, doing all these little things is what, I don't know, that's just how my brain works. And it actually keeps me more excited about when I do, mm. you know, go into the studio, um, you know, you know, if I've just been doing that for ten days straight, I'm not. I'm not going to be inspired on that tenth day. You know, like I, I, I like doing all yeah. different kind of kind of things. Um, so to Is answer there your question, like an ADHD there, <laughs> oh, possibly. You know, it's you funny how. Do you see all these? You see a lot more um, content about ADHD now, and how I suppose they're getting better at recognizing. And I, I my friend Connor was recently um, diagnosed as an adult, and. Uh, mm. And I see his Instagram stories, these funny little pictorials about, you know, the symptoms of ADHD. And I'm like, hang on, that's that's what I do. But I think all, I think everyone to some degree, you know, like has yeah. these things, right? You know, one thing they talk about with ADHD is like obsessing over something for a while and then just putting it down and like forgetting about it. And that, that aspect I definitely, definitely have. I always circle back around. Like right now I'm obsessed with electronics. Like I'm in a real learning phase again. I've been like, you know, just designing circuits and, you know, just, just learning and, and, and going crazy on that. Um, But, you know, in the six months prior to that, I was, I was really not, you know, I kind of wasn't into doing that stuff as much in that, in that kind of moment. So yeah, I don't know. I just mm. kind of f- float around between my different <laughs> passions and. Well, um, you've you've created a couple of products uh, that have. I, look, you can tell me, but they seem, <laughs> from an outsider's point of view, like they're doing pretty well, and you seem to be selling out of each run of them. And so that's yeah. um, you know, that's awesome. Do you want to talk about those products? 
do a yeah, little yeah. bit of a sell for it's, us? Oh yes, here's my chance. That's why, I'm, that's why I came on the podcast. <laughs> that's what, yeah, yeah. You didn't want to talk to a prick like me. Um, yeah, so that that came about because, um, well, actually, I, I've actually always sold electronics um, pretty much since 2006, seven. Um, okay, but it was always one-off custom um, to the specifications of the of the of the customer um it started with monitor controllers because back then it's weird like nowadays every interface has a volume control on it pretty much like but like mm. back then i think home studios were less of a thing and i think also um studios were just starting to make that that transition between console and going kind of in the box at that time and so like mm. Mm. everyone used to use the volume control on their console to turn the speakers up and down right like that was the that was the thing and then all of a sudden, if you take the console out of the equation or you just start using your console as mic pre's and just not mixing on it, like you need a way of turning your speakers up and down. And there were options yeah. at the time that like the big the Mackie Big Knob did exist back then and like yeah. there were Central there were other, Station. Central Station and all those things. But they all had kind of they had their own quirks. But the main thing was that like it's it's actually really hard to design a monitor controller that suits everybody, right? Because like, you mm. know, in in my studio you know, the maximum number of headphones I'm ever going to want to do separate mixes for is two, you know, whereas in someone else's studio, they might have another thing or someone wants to be able to plug in five sets of studio monitors or whatever it is, you know, everyone has their own yeah. kind of, has their own, um, their own kind of needs. And, and so I sort of, that's where it started for me. I was doing custom monitor controllers pretty much was my main thing that I would build. And I used to have this thing on the website. You could pretty much design it, get a price, and then put in an order like without me having to do too much kind of quoting or whatever. But what I realized nice. um, was that while, you know, that that's a good idea in theory, right? Like solving people's problems. A, people can't really see that just because it's, you know, like they would kind of expect it to be the same price as something off the shelf, which is impossible. Like a custom one-off unit, it's like, it's like doing all the design work for a product and then only selling mm. one of them. You know what I mean? It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's actually not a very good. It's actually not a very good business model. Business model. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I did that for a long time, and I was also heaps less busy back then, so it was fine. I was, you know, I was, I was just. Um, uh, and, and and things were really different back then. Like it's changed heaps in even in ten years. Like um, now, when we manufacture, I don't touch a drill. You know, like my enclosures arrive here powder coated, printed with holes in them. You know what I mean? Like I don't do any of that stuff. But back then, I was like mm. by hand every single part of the process, kind of thing. Um, yeah. So I did that for for ages, and then I and then I pretty much stopped. I just like called it quits on that because I was so busy in the studio, and um, you know, it, it just wasn't the same thing. Like I wasn't interested in doing it anymore. And then I started to get the fire again, but I knew it couldn't be it couldn't be the same business model as before. It's just too much to keep up with. Also, I hate letting people down. And if you tell someone, you know, I'm going to have this gigantic monitor controller ready for you in six weeks, and then all of a sudden mm. a, ba a band books you for two of those weeks, it's like, mm. oh man, like now I'm stressing. Like, I don't know if I get it to you in time. I hate that mm. shit. And so basically when I, when I thought I'll, I'll just start, building the products I know will sell well and I'll keep them in stock as much as I can or at least I won't take anyone's money until I know I can deliver a thing by a date. Um, and that's when I... It's funny, I just called my friend Pat who's like the most amazing, beautiful human and he, I owe the, this whole Franklin Audio business, you know, partially to him. Um, you know, he... 
I contacted him originally because he's a graphic designer and he's also a musician. And I just wanted a logo. I was like, can you do a new logo um, for me? And he was like, yeah, man. I mean, I can just do a logo, but like that, I, I don't want to, I don't want to do that. I want to, I want to help you make a brand, not a logo. You know what I mean? He's like, a logo is, nice. is nothing, you know, like, um, and mm. so he was the one that really ignited the kind of decision to turn it into a, um, you know, a, a, a real, a real kind of thing. Um, and, and, you know, his, the look, the way that he makes the products look and his vibe, his eye for, you know, it's it's great because how often do you meet a designer branding guy who's also a musician? So he knows what gear is supposed mm. to look like, you know. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he kind of convinced me to take the plunge, and before I kind of knew it, I was like, "All right, well, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it kind of properly." And I, you know, invested a bunch of money in it, and and we did it properly, everything from the packaging to the branding to the website and yada yada yada. Um, and and mm. it's it it is it's finding a it's finding a, a market, it's finding people who are kind of resonating with the ethos of the of the of the brand and um it actually pretty much it, it kind of saved me in a weird way because um that period where i closed the studio I, I, you know you probably experienced a similar thing you're stressing about how on earth you're going to actually make any money <laughs> when you don't have a studio to record people um and mm. and right as that i was closing that down that the sales of the electronic stuff was kind of on the way up so it kind of it really um right. you know gave me a, something to fall back on a little bit um, and that must be so, yeah. all over the world right yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, mm. the uh, the keyboard switcher product especially sells particularly well in in Europe. We we had a couple of pretty cool things. So like the Chemical Brothers bought one, and um, that oh, band wow. Dunyan or however you say it. I think they're like a Swedish band. Like a couple of kind of I don't know. I don't know. They're like in the synth world, kind of influential or whatever. So we had a couple of European buyers that um, that kind of put it on the map a little bit over there and um yeah we sell more of those to overseas than we do in australia um the mm. reamp box sells better here um it's not our best seller just because there are alternatives to that product which are great um whereas the mm. yeah the keyboard switch is a like a truly uh touch wood <laughs> touch wood unique product at least at least for yeah. now um yeah and we've got Until some new exciting- make their version of it for 20 bucks Oh, I, I, every day I wake up, I'm waiting to wake up with a DM saying, hey, this looks a hell of a lot like your... Uh- <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. And then you're going to have to decide whether to engage the lawyers or not. Yeah, totally. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah. Behringer are kind of like the Aldi of the They are, aren't world. they? <laughs> yeah. It's Just funny. Take I kind other of people's products and, and re- repackage sort of- it as their own. Oh, yeah. It's funny, isn't it? I have mixed emotions about that stuff. I mean... In one, on one hand, I'm like, oh, it's cool that like, you know, for me, growing up, my first, all my first audio gear was Behringer. Like, I, I used to, um, mm. I, I used to get the. Do, do you remember the shop Venue Music? It was on, it was down in the city. Yes, like a, absolutely, yeah. I do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I lived in Coffs Harbour, um, but I used to get the Venue Music printed catalog delivered to home. Um, yeah, and and I would. It was a lot of Behringer at the time for whatever reason, and I would pour through this Venue Music catalog and and like dream of what thing i might be able to you know save up my pocket money for or, or get you know convince mum yeah. and dad for you know birthday or christmas or whatever and um you know it, it was an it, it enabled me to kind of get going in the you know i used to have behringer mixes and microphones and you know whatever else did and, you have a composer um, the the compressor 
Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. That thing I felt like classic. everyone had a Behringer composer. Composer. I wonder where they all are now. Probably in the landfill. <laughs> or landfill, <storeums>. definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, and, you know, so in that regard, I think like these cheap brands actually do serve a, a purpose. You know, I think it's it's cool absolutely. that um that it's there. I don't like when they. It's not cool, I reckon, to like blatantly rip off someone who's still making the product. I reckon that's kind of like yeah. And they and they use the fact that they have huge power, like they're a big company with lots of money. You know, Moog is not going to take Behringer to court. You know what I mean? Like, you know, and, yeah. and they've probably got teams of people making sure that they're just skirting the lines of what's legal. Um, yeah. You know, so it's a it's a it's just a weird, like Aldi. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> the Aldi of music gear. But maybe it would yeah. be, maybe it's flattering if Behringer, you know, that's when you know you've made it, if Behringer steals well, your yeah. idea. <laughs> yeah, you can just hang your hat off that for the rest of your life. <laughs> when you were talking before about, uh, you said you got really busy. Um, you said you were you were making the these products and then you got mm. really busy with the production. Was there a catalyst for that? that you that you remember yeah yeah actually um big time um and it was it was kind of um yeah it was probably around i want to say that we're talking about six or seven years ago is when i went when i finally i feel like like kind of started going like oh yeah this is this is you know my work now um properly you know i've been doing it for ages but you know it, it was actually a, a, a moment. This is going to sound so cliche, but <laughs> I, I just finished a session um, and it was so late. Like, I don't know. It was just one, you know, those ones that just, they go on. I was also at the time not very good at um, regulating my work hours. Um, when we worked mm. at Linear as well, it was just like, it was part of the course that if a producer or whoever was using the studio wanted to stay till midnight, you were just there till midnight. That's just how it kind of went. And I remember yeah. just driving home from the studio super late, like, you know, everything in my life was a little bit of a shambles at that point as well, which you can get away with in your mid-20s. It was fine. But I was like partying, then going to sessions and partying and like eating badly. And, you know, because you're all forever, like I'm driving home at midnight, like what the fuck am I going to eat? I'm going to Stan or Macca's, you know what I mean? Like I'm not. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Um, and so yeah. I, I remember thinking like I just worked like so crazy you know, for the last fortnight or whatever, and um, not in a not in a kind of in a good way, just like in a kind of chasing my tail kind of way, um, because I was trying to build all these monitor controllers and I had sessions at Linear or whatever, and I I was like kind of like looking at my bank account, going, this doesn't make any sense. Like I I work so much, I feel like I'm working so much, probably exacerbated by being like hungover all the time, but. I, mm. I was just like, this just doesn't compute. Like there should be more money in my bank account given like how much I, I work. And I went through this, um, it's kind of embarrassing, but I, I went through like a bit of a, like a, like a self-help, like kind of, you know, phase. finance, finance bro phase. Because, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, and, and I'm kind of glad that I did because I, I, it, it did put me through a few years of like really good, you know, financial situations where I could kind of set myself up. So that was the catalyst to get busy, but get busy properly and actually make a lot of money. So, and, and a few things I right. sorted out. So it say, was the self-help kind of phase that did that. Yeah, definitely. Like I, I decided wow. like, okay, okay. Like if you're not happy with how the work's going, you need to be like, you know, I started, you know, reaching out to artists that I would like to work with. And I started, 
following up all the time and I, you know, I had a proper regimented kind of like, all right, on Mondays, you know, I'm keeping it for just doing this type of work. And, you know, I just kind of basically organized myself. And before before long, like actually really quite quickly, I was like, like back to back, you know, booked out at the studio and actually making like for the first time in my life, I, I, what I would consider like adults' money, you know, like I was like, you know, like did a tax. What's return that went, feel oh, like earning adult money? <laughs> <laughs> I can't, I can't, I don't do it anymore. I can't remember. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's I went to very a few, interesting. Yeah, yeah, and I was, it was good because I, I, yeah, I mean, probably went unhealthily too far into like the hustle and grind, like kind of like I was up every morning mm. at five running and like you know we're gonna you know seize the day, yada yada yada. But it was good, like a, you know, um, it was at pretty much at the same time that we built the studio in in Leichhardt, um, or maybe just a little bit before that, um, mm. and. You know, I actually think if I wanted to, I think if anyone really wanted to work every day in the studio, you can just make it happen. It's, 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 you know, it's there. Um, I guess mm. priorities change though. Like for me, I realized that being in the studio every single day is not actually what makes me enjoy life, you know? Um, mm. Yeah. So the catalyst was just one, was just like pretty much engaging with it and actually making it, making it happen, you know? That's amazing. I think for me, the catalyst was uh, getting the studio. Yeah. Before before I, I took over the studio, which was in 2010, I, I'd, up until that point, I'd been a freelance producer. And so if people had to book me and pay me to produce their record, they'd also have to pay for studio time. Yeah. And all of a sudden getting the studio meant that they only just had to pay me and they got everything that they needed. And then when yeah. I had to leave the studio, then there was the panic of what if they only wanted me for the space? Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, uh, you know, thankfully that hasn't proved to be the case in the kind of 18 months since. Yeah, that's great. And as you've probably found, I don't, I don't think like the kinds of artists that we want to work with they're not booking spaces they don't really care about walls you know what i mean they they might compliment no. you on your studio space and say this place is rad but that's not the reason they're there yeah. they're there to make a record no. with you when i was an in-house engineer at linear the only kind of bands that just booked the studio space because it was a studio space they were they were usually the worst ones to work with you know what i mean like they mm. they weren't they they either weren't mature enough yet to realize that it's the person that makes your record that makes it sound the way it does not the not the room um but yeah. but also they were usually you know weirdly obsessed with audio equipment which i'm just so over <laughs> you know, <it's> just... <laughs> which is weird because you're such a technical you're, well you're such a technically proficient guy and you're someone that knows a lot about electronics which is something that i know very little about um and I'm not proud of it, but I've just never been able to wrap my head around it. So for you to, you know, you've got this thing where on one hand you're gear obsessed and on the other hand you're not gear obsessed. Yeah, I think it's, um, I, I, I think it's partially because I, I do know about what's going under the hood. And what I kind of realized is, you know, as much as people would like to believe that some pieces of gear are like there's some, you know, like literal magic going on like mm. the the actual electronic difference between like a neve pre and an api pre is so minimal like yes they sound different mm. we're not you know you can measure the difference between them but the reasons that they yes. sound different i mean all mic pre's are just an op amp sometimes input transformers sometimes output transformers 
sometimes both. Those are the main variables. Everything else is just mm. there to facilitate functionality like phantom power. That's why I kind of like right. pe- people will gush over a, you know, they obviously, you know, people love Neves, right? Like that's the thing, like, you know, and I do too, you know, but mm. once, once I, you know, had a look under the hood of like the, you know, you know, much cheaper heritage one and, and I can see that the right bits are there. I just don't really think about that anymore. And I'm not the kind of person mm. that needs to have the one that says Neve on it. Um, you know, that said, yeah. you know, as, I, I do I do obsess over details when it's my own thing because I, I really want the stuff that we build to go out into the world, you know, as good as it can be. Like yesterday I was sitting there literally auditioning different values of resistors in one spot in a circuit and like measuring and listening and measuring and listening. I do care about stuff, but once it's at a point where, you know, I know that that's a good quality piece of gear. I just I'm not <laughs> I'm not too fast. So this, are your are your ears that finely tuned that you can hear the difference between resistors, or do oh, you well, need it, the measurement? No, I mean in that particular situation, that the resistor kind of changes where an EQ point kind of moves. So it was pretty obvious. But um, right. no, I, mean, I don't think I'm I don't think I'm any kind of golden ears type person i i don't know if this is gonna be this might you know people are funny about this stuff but i I don't i don't reckon even the people that claim to hear you know these differences sometimes actually can um Mm. you know i'm i'm a big fan of eric valentine i don't know if you've you've seen any of his um he's a american producer but um you know He's got he, actually. He's, weirdly, he's probably a lot of parallels with me. He's a music producer, but he has an electronics company. Um, and they, you know, he's done Queens of the Stone Age and big, big artists or whatever. Um, and his yeah. company, Undertone Audio, crazy people. They've stopped now because it's probably completely unfeasible. But they used to make a console like that. That was one of the products that they made, like a huge console. <laughs> and when they were developing the console. <laughs> His electronics designer guy would come in and say, "Hey, Eric, um, I want you. To, I'm going to pop new modules in the console. Um, you know, I've changed these capacitors. I think what you're going to notice is like the top end is a lot more open, and yada yada yada. Pretty much just tell him, you know, what he was going to hear. And mm. lo, lo and behold, on the next session, Eric would use the new modules and go like, "Oh yeah, he's right. The top end is much more open, and yada yada. And then it kind of tweaked mm. one day, and he said to said to him next time you make a change to the modules don't tell me what you did just put them in the console and then and then he was like all of a sudden the differences between the you know the revisions of the of the console started mm-hmm. becoming very minute if not inaudible um yeah and i, totally. I think we're very our ears are you know it's not just our ears it's our ear brain system right and so mm. I, I i don't think any comparison is tr- truly uh you know valid unless a there's a measurable difference um and i know people will people will argue about that but i'm like we have test equipment that measures the most minute changes in frequency response distortion you know transient Mm. response like we can measure all aspects of this stuff if there's no measurable Mm. difference i don't believe us dumb apes can actually hear the difference but people will Mm. you know say yada 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 um and and i think all comparisons need to be they need to be done, um, you know, in a, in a proper blind A-B fashion. Otherwise, any preconceived idea will, you know, 
it will always affect you. You know what I mean? Like it's like me hating amp sims because of Guitar Rig One. You know what I mean? Like yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, from two thousand and six or whatever. Yeah, exactly. And then me forever thinking, oh no, I hate guitar. You know, sims. You know, yeah. and always. Yeah. And if I knew which one was the real amp and which one was the guitar sim, I would be like, oh yeah, the real amp sounds better. You know, <laughs> like yeah, um, totally. Yeah. So I don't know. Um, I'm sure there are people with incredible ears. I don't think I necessarily um, consider myself one of those those people. Um, but I, I like to see. But that's a good thing in many ways. I reckon. Yeah, I mean, I don't, imagine I don't if you like were so cocky. caught up. Imagine if you were so caught up with that tiny minutiae that I think one of the things I love about your productions, and you know, I've I've told you this in the past. You're you're one of my favorite local producers in the sense that every time I hear a record of yours, I just there's a what I would describe as a cool factor. I, I just. I love oh, thanks, the man. way you make music sound. Do you do you have like a set creative process for each project, either when it comes to mixing or mastering or recording, or is it completely arbitrary and you just go with the flow project to project? Um, I'd say I probably used to have a little bit more of a set um, process because I, I used to primarily do bands, like 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 ninety nine percent bands, um, mm. and so I think that 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 kind of partially dictates um, how you make records. I was very very used to putting a whole band, um, not not necessarily in the same room, but in a room together and 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 playing you know like I, I did that for so many years because that's the way I was taught to do it at linear like Chris um was a well he is I assume haven't heard from him for a long time but you know he's a tape machine guy um he he was all about putting bands you know together so that they can see one another and and play and for, for probably the first you know t- 10 years of me making records that's how I that's how I did it. that's how I knew to do it you know I would it was mm. it was an abstract concept to layer one musician at a time to me um Mm. and and at the time i I don't know if it's my imagination it must just be the type of people that i work with now or um maybe a change in the scene i don't find as many bands actually capable of performing that way um you know maybe it's just because that's how it was Mm. done you know even 10 years ago um Mm. and so i used to have a like a process pretty much locked down i used to be able to quote for a job so simply because you'd be like well i know we're going to need like two days to do all the bed tracks and then we're going to need like this many days to do the guitar overdubs and this many days for vocals this many days for mixing it's going to cost this much i find it so much more variable when you start going down which i am very much now i haven't done a band in ages now i pretty much just work Mm. with like artists who write songs um and yeah with that stuff i i don't i don't think i either haven't figured it out yet or i i don't know if i ever will a, a process for that i i like to just you know i'll usually do a little bit of preparatory work on their song before they're in the room because i don't like trying to come up with a vibe while someone's sitting right there i always feel like a bit of pressure to right. like pull pull out some magic straight away i'll usually get them to send me their chords and words first and i'll make a bit of a Maybe I'll do a quick mock-up of the first verse and chorus, and 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 I'll play. I'll I'll sort of when I email it to them, I was like, oh, I just had to spare five minutes this afternoon. What do you reckon about this? I probably spent an entire day making this. <laughs> this vibe. Right, and, and, and just say, so your you know, advice is lie to your clients. Oh, never tell the truth. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, I know what you mean. But but part of that is the fear that they're not going to like it. So if you just tell them, if you just tell them, oh, this was just a quick mock-up, and they turn around and go, oh, look, it's it's not the vibe we're going for. You're also putting them under less pressure than if you say, I've spent all day working on this. Yeah. What do you think? They're yeah. under more pressure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And I don't want to. I don't want them to feel as though um, I've pigeonholed or, or sort of backed them into a corner with the with the vibe of you know this is what the song's going to be like. Um, mm. You know, but I, but. Um, uh, the the one part of the process that I that I do do consistently and I think works really really well is like making them give me like like songs for inspiration like I, that's I used to kind of downplay the importance of references but I actually now see mm. it more as like you know show me the songs you like and then dig in a little bit more and say like is this just a song you like or is there a sound or a sonic palette mm. or a texture in this song that makes you feel you know, because it might just turn out it's the vocal melody that they like. You know what I mean? Or, mm. or, or it might actually be they specifically want that drum sound. Or, um, mm. I, I find that's kind of easier. It's that whole thing of you know, send us some reference tracks, and you might be working on a you know, sing a song, write a ballad, and they send you some <laughs> EDM banger. Oh, all the time. Yeah. And you're like, <laughs> what? What is the purpose of this reference? Oh, I just like I like the way that sounds. Yeah, but it's funny because, yeah. um, and I think you're very good at this, um, and 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 I, I try to be better all the time. It's easy to be cynical about, especially you know we make we've been make you've been making records for, you know longer than I, but we do it all the time, right? We 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 we're, we're no strangers to this process. But most artists maybe get to make a couple of albums in their life, you know, and yeah, yeah. yeah. It, when you say when I when I give you a reference, I'm fucking good at that because I've been doing music long enough to know what a reasonable reference track is. You know, yes. I think um, it's good to get a reality check every now and then, and 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 you know when when they send you a silly reference, maybe there is a reason in there. You know what I mean? It, it, maybe it's like mm. you realize like, oh, I just figured it out. It's the delivery of the vocal, you know, and maybe that is mm. something we can bring into the into the track or whatever. Um, so nice. I like to sort of, I guess, start with the refs and then almost treat them like colors on the, uh, you know, on the palette, you know, like it's, it's, we're going to take a little bit of the percussion vibe from this song. And, um, you know, mm. it's like, uh, when I was last year, I had a, such a nice week with the Polish club guys making a record. I haven't done one in that way for so long, like full tape machine band in a room, you know, proper nice. old school, play the songs from start to finish. And um, <laughs> the, the the riff all week was if you rip off enough artists in a single song, no one can tell which <laughs> which artist you're ripping off. <laughs> uh, nice. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think so that's spread, probably... spread out your, your yeah, plagiarism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> yeah, reference tracks are an interesting one. Um I'm I'm kind of with you. I used to downplay them a lot more. And I I always thought that reference tracks meant that you were just trying to make someone else's record, but um mm. I've kind of softened to it. Particularly yeah. since I left the studio and I've been working remotely. Yep. It's I don't know why. It's just been a yeah, I've embraced it a bit more, I suppose, and I don't feel like it's kind of cheating or disingenuous anymore. It feels just like a, another tool. Of course, yeah, absolutely. 
I mean, it's not How like do you. Oh, sorry, you go. I was just going to say, it's not like a like a painter has never looked at a painting. You know what I mean? You can't kind of go through mm. your life ignoring. Obviously, you don't want to. The painter doesn't go and then paint. You know, something that looks just like this mm. other one. But it, I, I think to be, it, it's kind of. Um, if you flip it over, it's it's kind of like it's ignorant to think that you can make just amazing art without taking into consideration the you know the culture of the music that you're trying. The person that inspired mm. me a lot was Eric J. Like, um, I did mm. three or four sessions with Eric J. at Linear, and um, like that was when I saw what like a pr- a proper pro producer works like, and I was like, oh my god! Like, I learned so much from him. He was talking about when he got the opportunity to mix the um, Chet Faker record and it was a big deal and they were doing that annoying thing that big artists do where they actually get the same song mixed by like a bunch of different mixing engineers and then it's kind of like a shootout or whatever and then I guess whoever's one is the best probably gets the rest of the record or whatever. Um, Mm. And he was so hell-bent on getting that record that he like phoned Nick Murphy, the Chet Faker guy, and was like, talking to him about what music he loves and like he spent like a week before starting the mix listening to music that he hadn't listened to before to try and like Mm. immerse himself in what it was that was making him and then he said like he just felt actually equipped to mix then and you know he still labored it over it for days and he said he was so nervous it's nice to hear a big american record producer feel nervous to send out a mix you know what Mm. i mean like Mm. um because i think we all know that (laughs) that feeling from when you hit send every like, time every why haven't single they, time oh why haven't yeah. they written back yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah and so did he get the gig yeah yeah he mixed the whole whole album um they loved it and he was up against you know like the big name um kind of mm. mi- mixing engineers and i just thought well if if you know eric J, you know you know, can can listen to the refs and 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 absorb them and and take that time and that care. Then I think the rest of us probably kind of can, uh, you know, as well. Um, so yeah, I think that's they're, they're real. Important. That's a that's another thing I've learned. You know, I learned a couple of things talking to Jimbo yesterday that kind of changed my perception on things. And that you know, just talking with you now has kind of made me have a a slightly different perspective on references. And that is, you're not trying to recreate someone else's record. What you're trying to do is get really into the mind of the artist that you're working with and really find out what they love. And um, I suppose there's no limit to how far you can go into trying to, you know, create their vision. Yeah, exactly. And you might find so that's out that's unreal. Yeah, you know, sometimes they're hearing something in the ref that, you know, like I'll often say, like, oh, I don't really see how, you know, that that drum sounds going to work on this song, and they'll be like, drums? Oh, I don't. I'm not listening to that. You know, like they're like, I hadn't even yeah. really paid any particular attention to the drums. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So how often when you're when you're mixing or mastering? And you put up your mix or master against a reference. How, how how often do you go, shit, it's actually as good. And how often do you go, oh, my God, I've, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm a complete fraud. Oh, man, probably like 2080 or something. Uh, I don't know. Um, mm. I, I, you know what? Mastering is a funny one. I, I, and this, this is something just from a practical standpoint that comes up a lot. Um, 
you know, even just like last week, a, a, a regular client of mine that I've mastered lots and lots of stuff for kind of came back and was like, I love the sound of these masters, man, but can we, do you reckon they could be a bit louder? And I'm thinking in my head, louder? Fuck, they're pretty fucking loud. Like, <laughs> mm. I'm like, mm. okay. And then I was like, can I call you? And he was like, yeah, yeah, now it's fine. And I phoned him. And I'm like, how are you? how are you checking the loudness of these masters? And he's like, oh, well, I'm playing them in the Dropbox app on my phone and then I'm switching over to Spotify and I'm playing, uh, yeah, you know, this. Yeah. and I was like, oh, okay, let me explain. You're not hearing, yeah. <laughs> you know, these these applications have different output levels. You're not hearing the same thing. Yada, yada, yes. yada. Um, I actually very rarely use mastering references for anything other than the tonality. And I actually find them useful, especially, um, I don't know, I'd be interested to hear if you find this, I hear low and top end very differently first thing in the morning to when later on in the day when I've, you know, hmm. if I've been working and not from like a, I don't listen loudly. I'm not pummeling my hearing into the ground during the day or anything. I just noticed that. Mm. Um, and even day to day, I'll, something that sounded quite bassy to me yesterday might not as much. And what I actually use mm. the references for is like, more of a almost a calibration you know like i'll just put on some mm. music that i'm listening to a lot of at the moment and you know um that that sort of gives me today's you know you know lighthouse to to kind of go oh, okay that's how loud bottom yeah. end is <laughs> you know that's um, cool i like that i remember thinking that i used to put on different reference tracks so say you'd be say you'd be working on a drum sound so you'd go, okay, I'll put on four of my favorite tracks for their drum sound. Mm. And you put on one and you compare it to yours and you go, oh my God, that kick drum is so much louder than mine and my snare's too, too loud. So you turn up your kick and then you turn down your snare and you listen to your next favorite track. You go, oh my God, that kick drum is so quiet and the snare is so loud. <laughs> so I found that references for me uh, a lot of the time are just to remind me that anything is okay so yeah, long definitely. as it feels good yeah i don't i very i'm very rarely trying to match the tone or the um because you can't like if someone gives you a guitar track you know it 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 just inherently will sound different to every other guitar in the world like it, it can't mm. you know i'm not yeah i mm. very rarely am flicking back and forth with a ref um i just use it a to remind myself what music sounds like because sometimes you're in a pro tool session and you're just like you know, you're losing sight of the big picture here. Let's listen to an actual song. And as you say, sometimes you're mm. like, oh, well, you know, it's, you know, sometimes you go, oh, wow, I was stressing about this mix, but we're actually sounding better than the ref. So let's just keep yeah, going here. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not a big deal. What I do a lot of though, is I actually use previous versions of the song as one of my main points of reference. So if, if it's a producer's rough mix, I'll always have that ready to go so I can make sure I'm, because once or twice, way early on, I I, I definitely, because I wasn't doing that, I've you know I've I've definitely done like full mixes that were shitter than my own rough mix. You know what I mean? Like taking mm, it away mm, from where totally. it, where it needs to be. Um, totally. So yeah, I find those. Pretty, and that's the beauty of it, right? The 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 beauty of it is being able to try things and listen back and go, oh, it's that's not as good. That's fine. Oh, yeah. I'll keep going until it's great. 100%. I think a lot of people and probably up and coming artists and producers uh, will fail and just totally freak out about it 
But um, I've forgotten who it was recently that said, uh, oh, it was, um, I read a quote from Michael Jordan and he said, I failed more than everyone else. That's why I succeeded because he tried and tried and tried and failed and failed and failed and learnt. And um, yeah. so, you know, a failure, for want of a better word, failure is such a good teacher. I mean, it's, it's, oh, it's the it's ultimate the best. teacher. Yeah, and it, it can be like super frustrating, you know, but, mm. you know, so like with electronics, I'm, you know, I, I have more of an understanding than probably most, you know, audio engineers, right? But compared to yeah. my friends who are, you know, like um, two of my best friends, um, Locke, and um and John John is um Bondi FX he's a super successful um guitar pedal guy they are proper electronics engineers right and compared mm. with them my knowledge is is low you know like and i will yeah. you know i bug them a lot uh, they're very very kind generous with their time uh, <laughs> when i'm trying to figure <laughs> nice. stuff out but you know like yesterday i was i had something up and i was just trying a new circuit and it it wasn't right and i couldn't figure out the problem and and you know, for most of the day, I was, I was failing. You know what I mean? For in, in inverted commas, I, I, I mm. to the point where I'm like, Jesus has been a bit of a waste of time. This one, but like when I figured out what the issue was, I will never forget that problem. Now, you know, like I, I understand yeah. this circuit so comprehensively now, having gone yes. through it, trying to figure out why it wasn't doing the thing I wanted it to do, and I think it's the same with mixing, right? Like you you bang your head against the wall trying to make this thing slot together and one day mm. it happens and you go like, oh, right. And then you think about what was it that I did there that was different to what I normally do and you just accrue this this, this mm. techniques and knowledge and, um, and, and I think, you know, it, yeah, failing. Also, the industry kind of lies to us. Like I grew, you know, when I was first reading all the magazines and stuff and just getting into this, I was under the, you know, you got Chris Lord Algae going like, yeah, I do a mix in three hours. It's done. And I'm like, oh, mm. I slave over this thing for two days and I want to delete the yeah. entire thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. But then when you, you know, when you sort of grow up and you meet peers and, and, and good friends like you and, and Pete and everyone in the, and you realize everybody goes through the same shit. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, exactly. you know, we, we're all just, you know, you know, making music is not a linear thing. You can't put a, okay, a song should be mixed in this amount of time. Well, you know, some songs exactly. maybe, but, you know. And I think that's one of the main reasons I wanted to do this podcast is for people that are struggling uh, with their own journey to production or mixing or songwriting, uh, just to show that everyone, everyone struggles. Oh, a hundred percent. And it's a really important thing to keep in mind when you're in the middle of a struggle. Yeah, because making that you're art, not alone at that point. Oh, and ev yeah, that's exactly right. And and even the best of the best that you know they, you know they might have mechanisms that make their life easy, so their struggle is not as bad. You know, f you know, like I don't think. Michael Brower is getting unprepped stems to mix. You know what I mean? No, like, that's right. He's, exactly. He's not going yeah. in and dealing with the minutiae of the, you know, the breaths and whatever else. But exactly, um, it, it's a complex thing, and you can't compare what we do to any job. I don't think because, you know, no. you know my, my dad's always just worked in like kind of traditional. Like he was an electrician, and then he kind of had another business. But you know, I don't think. I don't think my dad's identity was caught up in the way that he stripped the wires. You know what I mean? But like, we mm. feel everything that we do so much. And if someone says like, 
hey mm-hmm. Mike, I don't I don't really like the way the mix turned out or whatever. That that's not, you don't just go like oh well that's you know we go like oh no that's that's part of me you know it's, it's a mm-hmm. it's a um, it's a complicated and that, thing. That brings me to something I've been wanting to ask you. Mm. How do you deal with those moments where you might have done a mix or you come up with a part that you love and you play it to the artist and they go, yeah, we don't love that. How do you, how do you process that? What, what are the emotions that bubble up mm. and how do you process those emotions? I reckon um, uh, pretty, pretty badly, but... Um, <laughs> Me too. I, Me too. Um, I think I'm learning to get better at it. A couple of things that have helped me a lot um, is learning a little bit more about mindfulness um, and, and meditating because not so much the the act of meditating doesn't really help, but but me being more aware of my emotions and my thoughts when they arise um, and allowing me to be less um, reactionary and to take a minute. So, you know, just like practical examples, if, if someone emails me back and says, Hey man, yeah, that, that wasn't really the vibe. Um, I'm capable of catching myself starting to feel like that and then just have a quick think about it and go like, all right, well, he didn't say, fuck, you've got a big nose. You're a dickhead, Nick. You know, what he said was he doesn't like some, just some decisions that you made with a keyboard and a mouse. You know, it's not, it's not the end of the Mm -hmm. world. I still feel it. Trust me. I still, I still fully feel it. I've made a rule about, unless it's a project where we're trying to get it over the line that day, I pretty much won't write back to one of those emails in the moment ever now because yeah, I look at, nice. I look at some communication that I've had in the past and I cringe. I'm like, oh, you fucking idiot. Why did you get so defensive about that? You know, like, why didn't you just... Um, I saw someone say the Can other day... Can you give like, us an example? Of the kind of things that I would have said? Yeah. Um, I remember a real... Only, only, because, only because I think this is helpful for people. Yeah. No, no, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I remember I was, I was one of the first, you know, proper recordings that I that I'd, I'd done, and I was, you know, it was like a kind of lo-fi. Um, they wanted to sound like the Sonics, like a like a '60s rock thing, and it was it was a really cool band. And uh, you know, you know those projects where you're quite you feel quite invested in it because you know you you, you like the music, and you know I was I was enthusiastic. And anyway, we'd recorded, and everyone was really happy. And then I went away and did the mixes on my own. And I did a stupid thing. Like, I don't do this anymore. I sent I sent all four mixes at once. Like, I did, I've mixed the entire EP and then I sent all of them. I never do that anymore. I'll mix one song, mm. get it in the ballpark, and then I'll do the other three because now I know what you actually want. And right. I saw the email in the middle of the night. Like, I think I'd gotten up to go to the bathroom and I saw that there was notifications on my phone. And this is another thing that I, I won't never look at that stuff <laughs> at night now. <laughs> anyway, I saw this email and it was like, it was actually worded quite politely from their end. I remember looking at it the next day. It was like someone snuck in and reworded their email because the way I read it was like, yeah, we hate the mix. Um, mm. here's, here's some references. We actually want it to sound like this, blah, blah, blah. Mm. And, and I remember writing back in the heat of the moment, like in the middle of the night, like, 
um, something like, yeah, but you're not that band. You guys aren't that band. So there's no way you're going to mm. sound like that band. You know what I mean? Like mm. I pretty much, I, I tried to put it back on them. I didn't take any ownership. I said like, well, mm. if you want to sound like Beck, you should be Beck. You know what I mean? Like it was like, mm. you know, which, mm. which the, you know, now I think about it, I'm like, oh, you fuck it. Why didn't you say, hey guys, no worries at all. Um, let me, give me a couple of days and I'll, I'll take it in a different direction and we'll see if, um, thanks for the refs. Um, you know, let me take it yeah. <laughs> in, a, in a different direction. Um, mm. But it's it's it is because it is emotional, you know what I mean. You put your time and your mm. care into these things, and if someone turns around and says they don't like it, it's you know it feels offensive in that in that moment. Yeah. How do yeah, you go totally. with that stuff? I I uh, sometimes don't deal with it well. Uh, I'm trying to get better at it. Mm. Same as same as you, I put every bit of my heart and soul into every record that I produce. Mm. And um, if I come up with something that I'm really excited about and I get an instant rejection of that idea, I, I, I go into a temporary funk. Yeah. How temporary it is is d- dependent on a, a bunch of factors. And, and one of those factors is how, how the other person or artist has received it. Mm. Uh, so if, if I come up with a, a part and they straight away go, nah, I've got to go, okay, is that because it's not a, the right part for the song or is it just because they're not used to it yet? Mm. You know, mm-hmm. there's all, uh, and oh, so yeah, I, I kind of do all this, all this mental gymnastics, but at the end of the day, you know, I've, I've definitely had moments where I have uh, created unnecessary tension just by going into a bit of a funk. You know, mm. when you get into a mood and you can't get, you know, you're in a shitty mood, you can't get out of it. Yeah. You feel a bit guilty about it, but you can't help it. Yeah. So I kind oh, of man. try and tell my artists up front, I just say to them, look, you know, sometimes I can, you know, take stuff a bit too personally and I can be a bit too invested to the point that. I get, you know, it, it, it's a roller coaster. Yeah. And um, I think if you frame that from a point of view, if you explain to them, the reason that I, that I, I feel the feelings about this is, is it comes from a place of me caring about your music. You know, I'm not, um, you exactly. know, you know, where, you know, I'm sure there are people who, you know, don't feel much at all during the process of making a record and they're yeah. there to go th- they don't through give the a motions shit. and yeah yeah 100% i mean the, the number they, of times a lot of people just want the check right yeah. they just want to be they just want to be paid and have the artist go yeah that's great yeah yeah and, and it's what's the point them. of doing this yeah i mean yeah good on you i guess i just i reckon if the check is what you want surely there are easier ways to <laughs> absolutely absolutely <laughs> Yeah, to me, that's the the one thing I struggle with more than any other aspect of of making records is how you deal with your ideas being rejected. Yeah. Which I wanted your advice because I I love the way you think and and uh, you strike me as someone who you know isn't a knee jerk kind of jerk. I try not to be when I yeah when I've got control of it. Um, it. It also for me it depends on so much stuff. Like you know if I've if I've set aside a couple of days to mix a thing, and and I send it off and I'm like cool. Well, hopefully all that's left to do on that is, you know, 
like a, a couple of tweaks and we'll be over the line. And they come back and they go, oh, not quite right. And also here's five more stems for you to slot into the mix and yada, yada, yada. And I have, you know, and I've got work booked after that. Like I'll, mm. I'll feel way more reactionary about that. But then I go like, yeah. well, they don't, they don't know you're booked, you that's know, right. like, you know, and, yeah. and, and if, if anything, that's a, that's a scheduling mishap on your part. Why haven't you left enough time for contingency to, you know, happen here? You know, yeah. I think it, when, you know, it's it's good to take take ownership over this you know when we one thing uh, it's a pretty weird analogy but <laughs> when we first got our first dog vivian she's a rescue greyhound and she was very um uh she was timid around people um she growled at other dogs she was she was a bit damaged from having been mistreated and we we mm. got a like a dog trainer to help us out with um with stuff and um it, you know, she, she said, anytime something bad happens with the dog, don't ask, don't don't say like, you know, oh, the dog has done something bad. Like, ask yourself, what did I do, you know, wrong that could have prevented this situation from happening? If your dog growls at another dog, why did you put it in a position where that was, where she was going to be confronted with another dog on the street? Or, you know, mm, if she, you know, you know, and, and I think it's a really hard thing to take ownership over. But like when I really yeah. look at it, if someone says like, yeah, we don't really dig the vibe of that mix, 99 times out of 100, if I'm honest, I'm like, okay, cool. I can see where I missed what you're actually going for there. I'm mm. going to try to mm. take some deep breaths and just go like, all right, well, bit of a waste of time there, but that's cool. We'll <laughs> we'll try and get yeah. it where it's got to go. It's really tricky though. Um, yeah. It sure I think is. How... Sorry, go. No, no, nothing. No, no. I was just going to say, how much do you see your role as being a psychologist? <laughs> um, depends on the depends on the artist. I think um, a lot, actually. Um, I, I find artists. Uh, um, well, it can kind of go two ways. Kind of, you get the odd person who's really quite delusional about how good what they're doing is doing, and you know, you know, but mo but the vast majority of artists I work with, at least just like us, are, are often plagued with self doubt, and they are worried about mm. how what they're doing will be perceived, and how, especially singers. I mean, it's such a vulnerable thing to ask somebody to 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 put their actual voice on a record, you know, and 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 to sure um, is. and and to kind of put it out there, and um, you know, they take blows just like we do, you know, like um, you know, I I, I worked with you know we've both worked with Chris a lot and, and, you know, when he put his last song out, some random person in the TikTok comments said something like um, something about his voice or, or something about something. And like, you know, he just saw that when we were hanging out one day at the studio and I could tell, mm. you know, when you can see somebody's like mood changes a bit and you, you yeah, know, man. like, and like to him, that's the exact same feeling that we get when somebody says, nah, just, I hate that drum sound or, you know, whatever, whatever it is, yeah. you know what I mean? Except it's completely unfiltered because it's just jerks in the comment section of something. Exactly, you know? like, yeah. Um, and so and, it, and is, you, can, you can get a hundred comments saying, love your voice, man. And the one comment that says, oh, I hate your voice. Which one are you focusing on? That's the one that you're going to remember. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Do, do you think there's, is that just the human condition or are there things that we can do to remind ourselves that we shouldn't be focusing on that at all? Yeah, I'm not sure. I, I mean, I go through 
through periods where, you know, and, and a lot of it can be circumstantial where I find it really easy to po- focus on the positives, you know, like, and, and it, and it's, and, and I, I often think to myself when those, when I go through those periods, I'll, I'll just think, hold on to this feeling, remember what this feeling is because it makes life easy. If you can focus on the, on the positive, mm, I, I think it, it's, it's probably wired into us because, you know, that same feeling that you get from, you know, an uncomfortable social situation, you know, it's probably just, you know, miswiring, you know, it's sending the same messages that shit, there's a, you know, fucking tiger is going to eat you or something. You know what I mean? We're, Mm, we're pretty, mm. we're pretty flawed as, you know, as physical objects, you know? Um, Yeah. And I think, um, and there, this is statistically, you know, a a thing like artists and musicians are, are, are way more predisposed to, mental health conditions and you know anxiety and depression Mm. and and i don't know if it's that that draws us to art or if it's the fact that we do art that makes us that way but there is an undeniable link between you know um, percentages of people suffering those kinds of things and so i think we probably are a little bit more um you know likely to, to to take those blows in a in a bad kind of way you know have you ever um and obviously you don't have to answer this, but have you ever suffered from mental health issues in, and specifically in relation to work? Um, uh, definitely. So f- first part, um, uh, clinically diagnosed um, depression and um, anxiety. Um, it, I think it's, it's pretty hard to um, untangle it from what it um, does with work because... Well, A, because I, I have a, you probably have the same thing. I, I have a pretty hard time seeing the difference between what is work and what is <laughs> just my life. Um, yeah. Uh, Which is and, a good and, thing, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, otherwise, if you don't care, if you don't feel like this is your life, then I, I don't know why you'd be, uh, you know, doing it. But um, what, mm. I, what I've tr- trying to grapple with a little bit sometimes is if I'm having a bad day, I don't want that to affect the session or somebody's project you know what i mean but like if i wake up one day and i just don't have the energy to sit at a computer and try and make music but that's what we're booked in for it's a kind of it's a it's a it's a it's a weird um thing but that said like the last year of not doing so much face to face and doing things a little bit more at a leisurely pace or 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 more at the pace Mm. that i feel like doing it um I, I'm finding is is actually working better for me personally, like just so that I, I you know, I can give someone a more vague deadline and say, hey, I'm going to mix that track. It'll be sometime this week, you know, and then if I wake up on Monday excited and ready to go on this track, I'll, um, you know, I'll do it, you know, but if I don't feel like doing yeah. it, I, I know I can, you know, it's it's chilled. No one's coming in today to sit over my shoulder and kind of watch, That's me, right. uh, yeah. watch me doing it. But yeah, but, you know, um, all, all in all, compared to places that I've been, I, I'm, I'm not saying like I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I feel good. I've, I, you know, I, I um, see a, a professional when I need to. Um, I know the, the triggers of, of things that can make me feel, um, you know, certain things. And um, mm. yeah, I, th- I think, you know, people, people mightn't see what we do as like a high stress thing because I, I suppose to some people they probably see like, you know proper jobs as, <laughs> as being mm. stressful stressful things yeah. but you know we you know we we live and breathe it it can be a stressful thing what about you i mean again like obviously you know only speak about what you 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 want to but you know have you experienced you know mental health related stuff 
Uh, anxiety, yeah, mm. definitely. Um, uh, first kind of became a thing for me in about 2003. Okay. Uh, and it was, I remember the, the moment it happened, I went for a run and I got to the top of a set of stairs and I was sucking in the big ones and I thought, what happens if I hyperventilate? What does oh hyperventilating mean? I don't have a brown paper bag. What? And I, I just thought, what if I have a panic attack and can't breathe? And and that just, I just went very quickly down a rabbit hole of being terrified of walking upstairs in case I had oh, a wow. panic attack. And yeah, uh, yeah. and luckily, I saw an amazing psychologist, and um, and I told her about it, and and. I'm cutting, obviously, a very long story, very short. Short, right? yeah, she, yeah. Uh, she said, you're talking about anxiety as if it's an external invading force that's come into your life. And I pictured it like Dementors in Harry Potter, you know, looking out. Oh, God, there's anxiety. <laughs> there's anxiety. She said, anxiety is your body's early warning system to deal with stress. Mm. And she said, uh, when you touch a hot plate, you feel pain to tell you to stop touching that hot plate. Anxiety is your body's way of saying you need to deal with stress. Mm. And she said, are you, are you, what stresses you? And I went, I'm not a very stressed person. You know, I, I felt like, pff, you know, what have I got to be stressed about? But I thought, well, my house was a mess and my tax was, I was behind on my tax and I needed mm. to do all my paperwork and, so I went home that night and I tidied the shit out of my house and got all my had paperwork everywhere, got it all done, got my tax up to date. And I had this immense relief. And, and I remember the moment where I went, if it wasn't for anxiety, I wouldn't be feeling this amazing right now. Thank mm. you, anxiety. And so now if I get any pangs of anxiety, which thankfully I don't get too often and too um, intensely, mm. but if I do get it, I know that I've got to go and sit by the water because that's my happy place. If I just sit by the water, dangle my feet in or whatever, uh, I know that I've got to do whatever I can to minimize stress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously, sometimes you can't eliminate it. You might have a crazy work schedule and yeah. crazy deadline. But if that's the case, I go, okay, I can't do anything about that. But what can I do? Mm, you know. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I know is I can go and sit by the water, you know. And so I would leave 10 minutes early for the studio on those, you know, there was one week that I was double booked. So I was literally in the studio from 9am till 2am for oh, about 10, 10 days straight. And I would make sure that I got 10 minutes early, I would go down to the local dog park at Annandale by the water. Dogs had come up to me, I'd pat them. And just that 10 minutes, was enough for me to kind of say to my body, I hear you, I hear, I'm, I'm not ignoring the anxiety and just wishing that it would magically go away. I'm thanking it for yeah. alerting me to what I need to be alerted to. And so um, it actually became my friend rather than my enemy. And I, I wrote a blog about it, which I might link. Below oh, I'd love this, to see that. But, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It was uh, it was a, just an incredible lesson to learn from this amazing counselor.
Yeah, that's great. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think the but coping mechanism... It's terrifying are, when it first happens. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and also, I think a lot of people live with things without necessarily having a name for it or putting a name on it. Um, and, mm. and uh, you know, um, I think uh, a, a little bit of... Um, you know, having some kind of coping mechanism, whatever that might be, like in your, in your example, you have like a ritualistic kind of coping mechanism, like where, all right, well, if I go down to the dog park in the morning, um, mm. I think it's it can sometimes be as simple as acknowledging the feeling um, yeah. can be enough to kind of get you through it when it's just a vague, mm. you know, as you say, like a thing that you feel like is external, you feel help, kind of mm. helpless, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I, I think it's, I think generationally it's, it's good. Like, like my little brother is quite a lot younger than me. And I see that speaking about mental health is so not taboo amongst his group of friends. Mm. And I think that that will just get better and better as, as time goes on, as we tend to get a little bit more progressive. And I think it's cool Mm. because then, you know, someone might be like, oh, right, that's, what you're talking about right now is what I have been feeling. I just didn't really know that that was depression or I didn't know that that was anxiety. I just thought that that was something that everybody, (laughs) that everybody Mm, felt or or whatever. That's right. Yeah. Um, I, um, I drew great inspiration from uh, Josh's post recently. I love that. Just, just for the audience. um, Nick and I are on a Facebook page called producer therapy and uh, it's basically a chance for music producers just to vent and talk about stuff. And one of the guys on the, on the page recently essentially said, I haven't enjoyed it for a long time. Uh, I want to quit and become a postie. And he became a postie. And he, he said, I've always loved motorbikes and I want to ride a motorbike around all day. And, and, I found that incredibly inspiring and I was thinking of getting, I'd love to interview him on the podcast because I think that could really help a lot of people. Oh, I think you and absolutely that, should. And, and clearly the last thing I want to do in, in this podcast is discourage people from, from a, a musical career, but you definitely want to educate people into the pitfalls of what this career can be like. And it burns a lot of people out and, so, question for you: Are you mm. still in love with it as much as you ever were? Um, I'm I'm more in love with certain aspects of it than I've ever been, and I'm I'm no longer interested in some aspects of it. Um, and I think what we do is it's so diverse <coughs> and f- far-reaching that mm. I don't think it needs to be black and white. So, for example, I used to be obsessed with taking it like right from the finish to the end. Like I would I would record the songs, I would produce the songs, I would engineer every aspect of it, I would be at every session, I would, you know, I, I would feel the need to, you know, make a decision at every single juncture. I would mix it, I would master it, you know. Um, yeah. And, and I don't want to do that anymore. And like from the outside, that mm. could be perceived as like, oh, he's kind of lost his passion for it. If anything, it's the opposite. Like my my care for the music and my care for being able to give the artists that I'm working with my best self means that if I need strings on a song, 
I don't need to go to that session. I've I've heard the arrangement. Mm. I'm happy. If Michael Tan can just record it, cool. I'm mm-hmm. I'm I'm I don't need to be the person that puts the mic above the violin. I'm not in love with putting mics on stands anymore. I'll tell you that. I I just not yeah. that. I used to want to put mics on drums all the time, and because it's fascinating and it's fun, mm. and sometimes mm. I still do it for fun. But I'm not in love with that anymore. I'm in yeah. love with hearing the song when it's done. I'm in love with yeah yeah when somebody like tears up and gives me a hug when they hear their mix down because you know they you know I, I I'll never ever lose my passion for that stuff but Absolutely. at some some point you know I I just I'm not in so I, weird weird answer to your quite simple question but I am I am <laughs> in love with it as in all all I want to do every day is come in this little room and tinker around with stuff but sometimes all I want to do is get my guitar pedals over there and plug them in in a different order and see what happens and i and i have that like childlike kind of play i want to know what happens when this happens you know what i mean mm. um mm. and i get i get that original feeling that i had from this I, and then but sitting there punching a drummer in every three bars to try and get some semblance of a performance i'm not in love with that <laughs> you know totally so, um one of the great things about the whole remote thing uh has been I don't record as many guides as I used to. Mm, so back mm. in, back when I had the studio, it, it would always start the same. Come in, we'll put a down a, a guide guitar to a click and a guide vocal. And I mean, that's that can be excruciating, just that bit. Now, you, the vast majority of the time, the artist has recorded all that at home. They're sending it through to you. I don't miss that part of it no. at all. Oh, God. God, no. Um, and it comes and- down to what you're saying about Michael Brower, you know, probably isn't sitting there having to prep the stems <laughs> no. for the session. I would love a world where the stems I get sent are perfectly labeled. There's already my effects chains. And it, yeah, you can get templates and all that kind of stuff to speed up that. But I mean, that would just be the dream, right? Where you're literally just playing with the the musical results of course, and and you know it's it can be hard to maintain. Like I'll use your your guides example. Like when you finally get someone through the guide guitar and vocals, sometimes it could take hours, as you know, to get mm. one where you're like, okay, cool. Well, now this is good enough for the other musicians to play along with. It's really mm. hard to then have the energy to go like, all right, cool. Well, now let's pull the best drum sound ever and record drums over this thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. And I don't think you know. I think in a really romanticized version of what we do, you, you sh- people probably think like, oh, you must just love going into the studio every day. And I'm like, no, not every day, you know, like, it, mm. it you know, you know, um, I, and I think all passions are like this, right? Some people are, you know, I, I've got friends who are, you know, incredible woodworkers. And I just think, oh man, you've got that gorgeous wood shop in the back of your house with all the tools that mm. I would ever want. You must just love going out there. And they're like, yeah, some days I love going out there, but some days I just mm. don't even want to switch the lights on, you know, like I think it's yeah. normal to, um, yeah. but uh, yeah, my my love for the, the different parts of the process kind of seem to, you know, change and swing around and, um, you know, just depending on what I'm kind of obsessed with at that, <laughs> that particular mm. moment. Do you do you see a day, uh, even the possibility of a day that you do what Josh did and you go, "Fuck it, I'm quitting and becoming a, a postie or whatever." 
No, I, d- I don't think so. Just because I think I, I've always, my, again, I've, I've sort of become like a bit of a, um, I hate to use the phrase jack of all trades. I like the phrase jack of all trades. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I, I, like I'm glad that I have all of these different weird things. I think that's enough to keep me feeling like engaged in the thing. I can see periods like right now where I'm actually not going to take on any new specifically recording jobs just for a few months because I'm feeling a little bit burnt out on recording. I can tell I'm not giving my full self. So I'm just going to do a few months where, because I need to, I've got to get these new products out and stuff. I'm mostly going to do electronics and mastering. Maybe I'll do one or two little recording gigs. Um, Mm. And I kind of keep things on a bit of a cycle. I don't think there's a world where I'll get out of music. I just, I can't sort of see that happening. But that being said, when I read Josh's thing, you know, there are, there are feelings in there that I think we can all relate to, right? Like the burnout totally. of just, you know, um, and I think it was interesting. It was nice to see everybody in that thread just kind of go like, hearing you loud and clear, brother. Like, uh, you know, mm. like I, I, you know, it was resonating with, with people. Um, and nothing is forever, right, as well. I mean, we might find totally. in a, a year's time, Josh has got his fire back and, you know, he's doing a day a week of sessions again or something, you know, like it yeah. just, yeah, um, yeah. I think there's a and fear as well. And I think everyone's, well. sorry, uh, go on, uh, fear of I, was, I, th- I think an unnecessary fear sometimes that if you're out of the industry for a bit that you lose all your, you know, I've certainly felt this. I worried about this when I closed the studio. I was like, if I step out of the game yeah. a little bit, you know, are people going to kind of go like, oh, no, nah, Nick doesn't really record anymore or, you know, like, yeah. I, you know, I think people worry about that. But the thing is, no one's actually really paying that much attention to you, you know, like I've got... Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've probably yeah. got friends who don't know I do anything other than music and they don't know about my electronics business. I've got people that I know that probably mm. only think I do the electronics business. You know, no one's really mm. paying that much <laughs> that much attention. Yeah. Well, they're not because, you know, I, I'll talk to people on the phone and uh, they'll say, oh, so, you, you know, what are you doing? Oh, I've moved up to Foster. They're like, oh, cool. Are you, are you still doing music? And... There's that horrible ego part of me that goes, haven't you been checking out all the music that I've been sharing? And, and uh, you know, you've, people don't give a shit about my life the way I do. No, that's the thing. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, I don't remember the specifics of it. I remember listening to a podcast about a study where they made people enter a room late intentionally by telling them that the meeting was at the wrong time, right? And... Um, mm. Then they would ask people questions like, you know, what color was the lady that that came to the meeting super late? You know, what what color shirt was she wearing or whatever? And most of the people in the room mm. were like, oh, sorry, I don't even remember um, someone mm. coming someone coming in late. But that person was painfully aware of the fact that they were late. You know, yes, yeah. People are mostly it's, caught up in their own shit. <laughs> absolutely, and that's a it's a it's a hard lesson to learn, but it's a it's an important one, isn't it? That yeah, definitely. Other people aren't stressing <laughs> over the decisions you make like you are. <laughs> no. Yeah, man. Um, thank you so much for for the chat. Um, oh man, I feel My like pleasure. I feel like I mean we do talk all the time, but I feel like we could talk for hours, and we might have to do a second part at some point. Oh, I'd love that. Yeah, I just uh, I just looked at the time. I can't believe we've just been talking for so long. <laughs> it feels easy. Um, it was a it was a blast. Um, Man, yeah, was- yeah, thank you so much for coming on. Um, and you know, I'll put some links where people can 
check you out just as long as they don't want to book you to record in the next few months. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> but uh, you, are, you are someone that is just such a, and I mean this in uh, the most sincere of ways, you're a real beacon of light uh, in, in many ways. And the way you interact with people online, the, the generosity with your time that you give me. And, um, I always feel like a little puppy dog ringing you up and I'm like, you know how I always say, sorry to, sorry to bother you, man. You're like, that's cool. That's cool. So, you know, it's just, um, not only are you, um, uh, an exceptional talent, but you're, you're a real great egg. You're a bloody good human being and thank you so much for for everything you do and thanks for sharing your insights with me and and the hopefully more than five people that listen to this (laughs) podcast (laughs) you know you know what it's like we're used to doing these things and you like in my mind i'm thinking maybe this podcast series could do really well but it could just be like everything else that you do (laughs) gets an audience of nine well, you miss, uh, you know, you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take, right? You got to, uh, you got exactly right. Got to put it out there, and you never know. You know, sometimes these things, they have a funny way of happening. There's sometimes the thing you least expected to be the one to, <laughs> to take off. Might yeah, be, might be the one. And look at at the end of the day, if one people, if if one person hears this and and something that that you've said helps them, then it's been worth it, right? Absolutely. And even if we weren't recording, I would have been super stoked to just have this chat. It was so nice. Yeah. Nice. Thank you, brother.